Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, May the 3rd, 2023. Yesterday, uh, we did a show with one of the most successful um, and uh, compelling young authors, writer, uh, Angeline Booley. She's a Native American writer. Uh, many of you will be familiar with her books. Um, uh, the first one, which was a huge success, uh, Firekeeper's Daughter, and then the new book that's just come out, Warrior Girl Unearthed. Uh, Booley told me that uh, she needs to tell what she calls our stories, our way in terms of the history of Native Americans. Another very, very successful young author's writer who um, has made a, a career out of telling her stories her way is my guest today, Alice Ozerman. Uh, many of you will be familiar with her multi-volume Heartstopper. Uh, she's on volume five at the moment, and it's been made into a very successful Netflix series. Um, and interestingly enough, in the United States, uh, her first book, which I think came out in 2014 or 2015, Solitaire, has just been released. Uh, it's in some ways, I guess, darker, perhaps in a sense more serious than Heartstopper. And I'm thrilled and honored that Alice is joining us from uh, her home in Rochester, Kent, in southeast England. Uh, Alice, uh, why has it taken so long for Solitaire to get to the United States? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, who knows, really? Um, publishing is a fickle thing. Um, sometimes books work uh, for certain audiences and sometimes they don't. Um, Solitaire was actually released in the US um, around the same time as it was in the UK, um, but it didn't do very well. Um, it it didn't it it didn't get reprinted as a paperback, um, and it was allowed to go out of print. Um, so I'm very very happy that it has gotten a second chance in the US um, and is now being released with a new cover uh, that I I was allowed to. Sorry, uh, I lost you for a minute, Alice. Perhaps tell us about your your new cover. Um, yeah, so the cover... Uh, Which we're I showing here uh, via, thanks to Cosmopolitan, it's a cover that you yourself created, right? Yes, correct. Um, it's got Tori Spring, the protagonist of Solitaire, on the cover, um, and she's standing in this kind of snowy wasteland, um, and in the distance behind her is her school and it's on fire. Um, and yeah, I, I absolutely love how this cover turned out. It For me, it kind of speaks to Tori's mental state um, as well as hinting at some of the events of the book. The book, uh, at least on your website, comes with some content warnings. Um, and I'm quoting from uh, from your website. 
Uh, Solitaire, please note that Solitaire is a much darker, more graphic, more serious book than the Heartstopper series and may not be suitable for all readers who enjoyed Heartstopper. Why is this a darker, in what context is it a darker, more graphic book? Well, one of the things that Solitaire looks at is mental health um, in its protagonist, Tori, who is dealing with some kind of unspecified mental health issues, um, as well as her younger brother, Charlie, who is dealing with an eating disorder and self-harm. Um, and these topics are looked at in Solitaire in quite a visceral kind of realistic way that doesn't shy away from showing the the darker side of those experiences um and I felt it was necessary to include that content warning because many readers uh come to solitaire after having read Heartstopper uh, which features Tori and Charlie um but Heartstopper is much more uplifting and um, positive and optimistic in tone. And I've found that readers can be very surprised or even shocked um, and upset by the, the very different tone that Solitaire has. Um, so, yeah. How did you get from Solitaire to Heartstopper? Well... So I wrote Solitaire back in 2012. And how um, old were you? you? You were pretty young when you wrote Solitaire. I, yeah, I, I was 17. Um, when that was I before you went Solitaire. to university. Yes, yes, it was, yeah. Um, and Nick and Charlie, uh, who are the protagonists of Heartstopper, they are characters in Solitaire. Uh, and in Solitaire, Nick and Charlie are in a relationship it's a very strong, very loving relationship, um, but we don't really learn much about their relationship outside of the scope of the narrator, Tori. Uh, we don't learn about how they got together or what their relationship journey has been to make them into this amazing couple. So when I finished writing Solitaire, I knew that I had a story there with these two characters that I absolutely adored. And I wanted to tell their story somehow. So a couple of years after Solitaire was first published, I decided to tell that story in the form of a webcomic. Uh, and that became Heartstopper. Uh, we did. Uh, we've done a number of uh, shows with graphic novelists. Uh, Kate Beaton was on the show last year talking about her new book ducks two years in the oil sands which is very much of a memoir i'm sure you're familiar with kate beaton's work a canadian graphic artist what does graphic art bring what what tools what weapons for you that um helps you tell not just the stories of your characters but of yourself as an author as a creative what i love about graphic novels as a medium and comics as a medium um, is being able to tell a story visually uh, without dialogue. Um, and obviously there's a lot of dialogue in Heartstopper, but a lot of the kind of core emotional moments for these characters occur non-verbally um, through the character's expressions or the touch of a hand or, you know, something 
that cannot be expressed through words um and and that's that's kind of what I absolutely love about drawing characters and drawing people um they've always been my favorite thing to draw um it's it's a different kind of way of telling a story and it's just something that I've always enjoyed and how does that fit in with solitaire could you go back to your form in solitaire do you think well solitaire solitaire is very different in form to uh heartstopper uh i mean what the way solitaire is written is in this uh very kind of pessimistic voice of tori spring um and she hates everything she hates the world around her she's full of frustration and moodiness and annoyance um and it's through that voice that we kind of learn that she has some warmth underneath this sort of shell this mask that she puts up um against the world um so that's it. Yeah, it's just a very different kind of storytelling, um, but equally one that I love to do. <laughs> Alice, I have to ask this question. It's probably a dumb one. Um, as, as I always half joke, uh, all my questions are particularly dumb or slightly dumb, at least. It, was there an element um, of Alice in the voice in Solitaire, a 17 year old Alice? Definitely. I mean, I think there's a part of me in almost all of my characters. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not Tory Spring, but I think there was definitely a Tory Spring voice in my mind somewhere. Um, and it was expressing a part, a, a part of myself. How big that part is, I, I don't really know. But um, I, one of the reasons I love to write is to explore you know the world around me and issues that I care about and you know things that I've seen and experienced and so at, at least a little bit of myself always ends up in my in my main characters. As you say you're not Tory Spring you're Alice Osman you, you gave an interesting <laughs> um, interview to The Guardian uh, about uh, sex and romance and and and, and why uh, if we haven't had sex and romance, we don't feel as if we've achieved. Do you think that contemporary culture invests too much in sex and romance in terms of self-realization and happiness? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that is actually the theme of one of my latest uh, prose novels, which is called Loveless, um, which uh, explores the idea that... Um, kind of sex and romance to prized above almost all else in life you know they are the ultimate aspiration for everyone um and that can be very hard if you for example identify as asexual which the protagonist of loveless does um what does asexual mean here I, I looked it up on wikipedia I uh, found some media portrayal of asexuality. and uh, it, 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 How would you define it? I define it as um, experiencing little to no sexual attraction to other people. Um, yeah, and the, the so Loveless is the sort of a coming out story um, about a girl called Georgia who has never 
fallen in love with anyone um and she goes to university determined that she's going to have a kind of teenage romance experience um, but instead she starts to realize that she doesn't experience those forms of attraction for boys not for girls not for anyone and she has to kind of reckon with that um when she's always believed that you know one day she would find the one but she's starting to realize that that's not really what she wants um even though the world tells her that that's what she should want so yeah is there a little bit of alice in that is there autobiography or yeah, is it you different yeah i i wouldn't describe it as an autobiography um i i also identify as asexual um but uh georgia you know the things that happened to georgia in loveless didn't happen to me it is a fictional story but like with Tori and Solitaire, I always put a little bit of myself into my protagonists and the topics that I explore are things that I care about and things that interest me. Yeah. Do you see yourself, Alice, as the voice of, not the voice, but perhaps a voice of your generation? You're in Kent, in south, just south of London or southeast of London, that many years ago was also the the uh, the engine room shall we say of cultural revolution very different kind of cultural revolution driven by the who and david bowie the who of course wrote hope i die before i get old it was a celebration of i'm not sure if if it was a celebration of romance but certainly of sex um things seems to have dramatically changed in over those 50 years as i said i, I don't want to suggest that you are the voice of a generation, but do you think you reflect a very, very profound and intriguing cultural shift in how young people think? Well, I think the um, popularity of Heartstopper uh, has been really interesting to me, seeing how much it's blown up and how people are discovering it in their school libraries. And I hear from librarians that kids are coming into their library and just sitting and reading Heartstopper. And even for me, you know, I was still in school 10 years ago, but that the idea of going into my school library and finding a book like Heartstopper and seeing loads of people reading it, that's so unfathomable to the school world that I knew. And so it makes me feel really hopeful about the young the young generation the the, the teens of today um and you know wh whether <laughs> I I would never call myself the a voice of the generation or whatever um but like I guess uh, I I always try really hard to represent teens authentically and genuinely and not ever talk down to them and I when writing teenage characters, I always try to just treat them as humans and not put on a, a teenage voice or anything, you know, try, trying to pretend to sound like a teenager because teenagers are human beings and they have complex personalities and flaws. And, you know, so if, if, if teens today are, are still finding my works relatable and authentic, then that's just one of the best things I could hear as an author. 
Yeah, I'm not sure that the WHO in particular used words like authenticity and authentically in the <laughs> 1960s, things have changed. You're very visible on social media, you know, a huge following, for example, on Twitter. How important do you think, Alice, social media has been in terms of this cultural transformation, particularly of, 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 of your generation and the generation after yours, the kind of people who, who, who love Heartstopper? Yeah, it's been essential, I would say. I think the social media has has um, is created communities of people who would never have been able to find each other otherwise, um, particularly for teens. You know, teens can log onto Twitter or TikTok or Instagram and find people who are like them, who maybe they haven't, you know, found in real life. And through those friendships and communities teens are kind of getting a broader experience of the world and learning about things that I would have had no sort of awareness or access to um, particularly you know for young LGBTQ plus teens there's so much information and community out there now that I completely wasn't aware of when I was a teenager um, and I think while social media there are definitely a lot of bad things about social media I think that the communities that people can find on there that is definitely a good thing. One of the reviews Alice of Solitaire suggests that it's an honest and genuinely joyful LGB, uh, LGBT romance and there's no Q plus there. Is that fair? Is that what you wanted to do with Solitaire? Well that's an interesting headline for Solitaire because uh, the uh, the the Queer romance in in solitaire is the relationship between Nick and Charlie, um, and to be honest, that's quite a small part of the book. Um, the book isn't really about Nick and Charlie; it's about Tori. Um, and to, you know, solitaire was written. Um, it was my very first book, and at that time, I didn't really have a lot of knowledge about uh, LGBTQ plus issues, or you know anything much I was still learning I was still growing as a human being um but maybe what that headline speaks to is the what kind of what I saw in Nick and Charlie as characters which was just two boys who are in a relationship there and there's no kind of questioning about it or drama surrounding it um the drama comes from you know the explorations of mental health um with Tori and Charlie um, but Nick and Charlie's relationship is so strong from beginning to end in solitaire. So, yeah. Uh, you, you're, you're quite vocal in your support, for example, of the trans community. Why uh, on, on your Twitter page, for example, you've retweeted the trans pride event. Uh, why do you think tr the trans issue has become such a lightning rod, such a, a third rail in our culture today? Not just um amongst teenagers but about within the literary community for example jk Rowland has become very controversial on him what is it about trans that brings out perhaps both simultaneously the best and the worst of us in terms of our openness and our intolerance well the trans community are a, a very marginalized community they are very high risk um of you know discrimination and um 
they they are an easy target <laughs> to be honest they are a very easy target for anyone in a position of privilege um whether that's a politician or whether that's you know a, a famous person um and um i think a lot of people feel comfortable having an opinion if if they don't personally know a trans person they have they form their own ideas <laughs> kind of um without having much information um it's it's a it's an issue like i it's it's really upset it's something that's really upsetting to me because trans people are just trying to live their lives and um trying trying to exist in a world that is so completely against them um and they are being used by politicians and the media as a way to swing votes um without you know caring about who they're hurting in the process um it's the exact same thing that happened to the gay lesbian and bi community in the 80s and 90s um we're seeing history repeat itself um and so you know i i i try and do what i can um one of which is raise, raising money um through the webcomic um for various trans causes um and while that's only a very small thing um i i guess it's just something that i care about a lot um and i just want to help however i can Young adult literature is becoming increasingly politicized. Again, Alice, you don't need me to tell you this. Uh, in February, I had another very popular young, uh, young author writer, Kelly Yang, on the show, talking about the new culture wars over kids' books. She has a new book out, uh, Finally Seen, and she's very critical of, of Ron DeSantis and what's happening, particularly in Florida. Are you expecting Solitaire with its new cover uh old book of course to get banned in the united states i mean all these warnings um might alert uh, you know it's a book about suicidal ideation mm -hmm. at least according self-harm depression eating disorders and so on do you expect the book to get banned in some of the more conservative states and would that in a sense be a compliment to what you're trying to do I think it's it's definitely possible. Um, I can't say I fully understand always the reasoning behind book bannings. Um, Heartstopper has faced uh, some controversy uh, in, I think it was Florida. I, I can't remember the exact Probably. location. It's usually Florida um, when these things happen, although it may be another of these southern states. Yeah, I mean, it's, to be honest, it's, I, I think I used to have the attitude that, um, you know, oh, if a book is banned, that's, you know, that's really cool. That shows that I'm doing something really important. But I, I struggle to feel that way anymore. I think all that I really feel is is anger and, you know, frustration that these choices are being made for teens, that information, um, access to information and certain topics is being restricted um particularly when the the large majority of books that are being banned are books that have a focus on 
LGBTQ plus issues um, or our stories about people of colour. Um, so it's it, it it's hard to see it as anything other than, you know, kids are being uh, their, their access to ideas and information is being restricted and that's just a really sad thing um so for those kids i hope that solitaire isn't banned um well i'm sure they can get it anywhere but... uh, probably get it well online. yes well i mean yeah yeah you say that but i i think a lot of kids you know that they're only for some kids the only way to get books is in the school library um but you know yeah i i i I, I hope that things get better and we see less book bannings in the future, but we'll see. How do you feel we talked to Kelly Yang about this, about the Roald Dahl controversy in the UK about some of these rather insensitive books, especially children's books, getting rewritten for our more, for our for, for the 2020s with our different kinds of sensibility? Do you think some of these classic books, particularly children's books, should be left alone or, or do they need to be rewritten to conform to our own particular sensibilities? To be honest, I, uh, I, I have, I have, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I think, you know, there's a part of me that thinks, you know, no, I don't really want kids to be reading books that have, you know, discriminatory ideas in them. Um, but Equally, if if we're just getting rid of that and republishing them um, with with all that taken out, then we're kind of lying about the original intent of the author. Um, and maybe it would be better, for example, to put a foreword into the book explaining that the author had, you know, these kind of bigoted views um, and, you know, continuing to publish what what they originally wrote um with that knowledge in mind um i can't I, i'm not really sure I, I i don't really know what is the the sort of best or or most ethical or moral choice there um i probably have to do some more reading about what other people have said we had the children's author another writer jared krishoska on the show um he had a very hard upbringing He's written about it. He wrote a new book called Sunshine, How One Camp Taught Me About Life, Death and Hope. You didn't have a hard upbringing and yet you're still nonetheless able to. And, and again, maybe I'm wrong, um, but it doesn't. You, you haven't written that much about it. You're able to channel people's concerns into your work. H how much of your upbringing do you think uh, we need uh, in, in terms of children's literature, this is a, this is a final question, uh, Alice, to lead out. Sorry, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like how how much? Sorry, can you just repeat the question? <laughs> I'm not sure I quite understood what you. Yeah, asking. I apologize. It may have been a little incoherent. Um, I, I was mentioning. Krichowska, who, who has made his upbringing into a kind of literary form. You haven't done that with your work. Can one write, do you think, final question, Alice, can one write about, especially for, for, for young authors, uh, for, 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 for young readers, can one write about experiences that you actually haven't experienced? 
That's a big, that's a big question. Um, well, it's I an mean, appropriate wrap up because I know you've got to run, so you can answer <laughs> it briefly. <laughs> I'll try my best. Um, I think it really varies depending on context. You know, if, with, if authors write about experiences they haven't had all the time, you know, that's, that's part of storytelling. People are writing about fantasy and dragons and, you know, science fiction and um, things like that. Um, when it comes to contemporary stories, um, it's always good to be aware of um, issues that may not be your place to, t- to, to talk a lot about or write a story about. Um, uh, but equally, you know, it is an element of, of storytelling is, is making up stories. Um, so, you know, as a contemporary writer, I, I do try and stay aware of, you know, when, when I should stay in my lane and when I, when I shouldn't, you know, um, that'll have to be my, <laughs> my brief answer to that question. 